This week on C-SPAN's Afterwards podcast, journalist Kara Swisher speaks about her career and covering the tech industry and its key players. She's interviewed by author and Financial Times global business columnist and associate editor Rana Faruhar. Since March 19, 1979, C-SPAN, a public service funded by the cable television industry, began giving you direct access to government in an innovative way by putting you, the viewer, into the rooms where politics is debated and policies are determined. C-SPAN began as a bold initiative. Now, 45 years later, we are essential for those wanting to see democracy at work without editing or commentary. With continued cable support, we've done this without a dime of government funding, maintaining our independence. As we mark 45 years, the business of media is rapidly changing, and now your support is crucial for our mission's future. Support our legacy of unfiltered access by donating today at cspan.org slash donate. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Kara Swisher, I am delighted to be here with you. It's a real honor to talk about Burn Book, Thank which you. we have to, I think for the C-SPAN audience, yeah. we first need to put the Burn Book in context. Okay, can you right. give us? Can you give us the background? Sure, okay. sure. You know, Burn Book is an expression, actually Mean Girls is out now, which is kind of yeah. fortuitous for me. Um, but it's a book you write things you really think about people, and you're not, people aren't supposed to see it, and of course that's the whole premise of that movie. Um, and you have fun with it, and it's sort of gossipy, and mean a little bit but funny and and so I decided that's why what I was doing in my memoir mm. in, of what my 30 years covering Silicon Valley the same time the subhead is a tech love story because I love tech yeah so I don't want this idea that you know there's there's a lot of tropes out there you know tech is terrible it's not terrible it's mm. how how it's being used essentially and so I want to say I love tech but let me tell you what happened yeah yeah in this journey to, to these people becoming the world's richest and most powerful people, and you've been there since the beginning. I, I, have. I um, it's interesting because you know you have a bunch of you have a bunch of great blurbs from a lot of people. Many of them are people that you've loved and hated, or, yes. or that you've trashed at least, yeah. and yeah. have trashed you. And yes. the thing that I actually love about this, and this mm -hmm. is the first thing I want to get into, is you are, I think, a self-appointed um, reportrepreneur. Yes. Is that the word? No, it, I don't use that word. It was you, not. I never okay. made that word up. Okay, it's a terrible right. word. Terrible word. But you, it's an entrepreneur entrepreneurial reporter. You're right. an entrepreneurial journalist and right. that is something first of all I think there should be way more of that. I agree. And I think it's so crucial because you are owning all your IP. In mm -hmm. fact you're even owning the things that people say about you. Yes. And, and so yeah. I would love it actually if you could sort of start there and tell us just a little bit of the journey of you as a journalist before mm -hmm. we get into the other the other folks and the fact that pretty early on you saw the internet was going to eat 
all media. Yeah. Um, you needed to be on top of it. You had to buck a lot of powerful interests to get there right. and to own, uh, own your content. Yes, eventually. exactly. So one of the things that I started out very traditionally, I was moving up the same food chain that existed before. Um, I, I started off, uh, I went to, uh, I, I worked at the college newspaper. I went to Columbia Journalism School, mm. was offered a lot of jobs at places across the country. Mm which I didn't want to live in. I was gay. I did not want to live in Mississippi. Not, not my first choice. <laughs> didn't want to do the town hall reporting didn't there. like that. Yeah. I felt like, mm, no, not happening for Kara. Um, and so I wanted to start at the top. So I started at the bottom of the Washington Post as mm. a news aide in the style section, which I loved. Actually, it's, very, it's a great place to be to watch how politics works in a newsroom. And the Post was sort of in uh. that period where everything was going up and to the right, as many media companies were. It was doing really well. It was post-Watergate, but it still was in a very uh, heady time for media, for especially newspapers. Mm. And I worked my way up. That's all I did, as I worked my way up slowly, at first as a news aide, doing all kinds of things, and then, um, you know, mostly scut work, essentially. And then I worked my way up, eventually, to become a reporter in the business section, which was the backwater of the yeah, post yeah, at the always, time. Yeah. Everyone, you know, politics is where, it, or Metro, or something like that. But I... Um, I just worked harder than anybody else and did all kinds of stories and then got this job and made something of the business section. At the time, Barbarians the Gate was coming out. And then business got a little sexy, yeah. right? That really turned everything. And I started covering anything they threw at me. I was like, I'll cover that, I'll cover this. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, I covered retail for many years. Mm -hmm. And watching the retail sector disintegrate in Washington, I was a business reporter and I was studying business. That was one of the structures of the business was built on display advertising. And I was like, well, this isn't going to turn out well. And mm. for some reason, reporters weren't paying attention. Why do you think? They're not business people. Yeah. I am. I was like, yeah. hmm, this is not good if display advertising. And then Walmart was moving in, and Walmart was a very technologically savvy company. They didn't advertise. They knew how to get to people, right? And it wasn't just internet. It was flyers and everything mm. else, direct mail, emails, things like that. And I actually emails didn't exist, but it was a lot. They were very technical. They knew when to have milk at the right place. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. They didn't just guess yeah. and everything. And so one of the things that I thought was important was to understand the business you're in, right? And hmm. reporters just aren't interested in the it, economics. It's fascinating. Yeah, and I was like, well, if there's not enough money, it's going to be a problem here. Like, what do you think? They can keep doing this out of the kindness of their hearts? They're yeah. not going to do that. And so I focused on that. And then because I was the young person in the room, they're like, this, this online services thing is really getting big. This mm. CompuServe prodigy, there's this little company called AOL, America Online. They didn't call it AOL at the time. Why don't you, young person, go out there? And the minute I saw it, I was like, oh, this is really bad for media and really interesting. And it was pre-internet, really. Internet did exist, but it was mostly via these CompuServes and stuff. And so... I also, at the same time, started to really love the, the technology that was being used, started being used, a Trash 80s, which were the, these little tiny radio shacks. Hmm. I used the, the Post's singular cell phone they had, which was in a suitcase, and then the, the oh Gordon Gecko version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, it's like a oh, brick. Yes, I was like, oh, look, you don't need to be in a newsroom anymore. Why yeah. do you need to be here at all? Because everything is portable. This is all going to be portable. And everyone was like, ha ha, Kara, it's not going to be, I'm like, no, it'll be like Star Trek. I kept, like, <laughs> it'll be like Star Trek. And, and I just kept running up against people who were like, oh, it's going to be this way forever and ever and ever until the end of time. I'm like, mm, no, I feel like history is littered with businesses who did that. Yeah. And so as I started oh, yeah. to spend time with the Internet people, as it grew, I had an email. Everyone was like, why do you have an email? Readers will talk to you. I'm like, 
Yeah, that is the idea. And then when you started to understand the World Wide Web and how you could download things digitally, mm. books included, mm. I was like, it destroys industries and it mm. creates new ones. And as I started to meet these people, they were talking my language, right? So and so I was like, I'm going to cover this because this is, this is the beginning of television. This is the beginning of radio. I was a student of history. Mm. And I did. And I moved out to Silicon Valley. I wrote a book on AOL. And then I moved out to Silicon Valley to cover the nascent internet. This is the early, um, the, the mid-1990s, essentially. Mm. Well, so I, it was interesting to, to, to hear you uh, going out to Yahoo, Excite, I mm -hmm. mean, these places that don't even exist anymore. Well, Yahoo does, it's actually Yahoo does, that's true. That, yeah. That's true, that's true. Um, don't be evil. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that was, was the mantra. Google came later. Google, Google was later. It was Netscape, Yahoo, Amazon were the very early ones. So I'm curious at what point, uh, I mean, I always think about Don't Be Evil. My second book was entitled Don't Be Evil because, and I looked at sort of the antitrust issues, which oh, you get sure. into a little I bit. Um, uh, I'm curious at what point in that journey, I think mm -hmm. you, you went out in, was it 97? 96. 96. Mm -hmm. um, that you began to feel like, oh, okay, this isn't just a bunch of cool people, you know, doing stuff and not being evil. This is actually something bigger, um, potentially Always. more problematic. Uh, when Always. I, the first time I used a browser, I was like, oh, it links to other things. And you go wherever you want to go, it's endless. It was so easy to understand it. And you know, very few, a lot of the focus in tech at the time was on chips yeah. and, about, and computers that were sort of moving. You know, I had a Mac, uh, I mean, a, a, a Macintosh in college, yeah. but it, very few people used it. Um, they had very little interest in computers at college or at journalism school. And I kept saying, you need to know computers. Mm. It seems like this will be like the pen, like mm. kind of thing. And um, I, I, it, the penny dropped right very early when I downloaded a book onto um, my, hard, my mm. hard drive. And I was like, huh. Did you see at that point, oh, copyright problems? I did. Um, data. Very early for the Google people I did. That was yeah. later. but. Initially, it was like just a directory. Yahoo was not a search engine. It was a directory where mm. people hand put things in. But you could see where it could go, right? It was easy. And when I saw Google, I was like, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. It's going to be algorithmic. It's going to be this. And that was, that was not until 1998 or whenever it started. I, I did one of the first stories about their funding um, and went to the garage where they started the company, mm. um, Susan Wojcicki's garage. And um, it was just, you could sort of, you could piece it together, and it was all of what I was talking to the Washington Post about early on when there was early internet stuff. Mm. I kept saying, this is, it's so clear where this is going, and you're, and I told Don Graham, you're on a, you're on a lower floodplain, and it, <laughs> the water's rising. And he laughed. Did he put his waders on? Yeah, he Not did. soon he enough. He was like, guess I'm going to need a bigger boat. I'm like, you don't have a big enough boat. What's happening? It's about to swamp you. And you could see Craigslist to me was a moment of revelation. Yeah. Because it was another economic That's structure of media yeah. companies. So I focused first on media, but then I moved to music. And mm. the music people were highly resistant to Napster and everything else. And I thought, oh, no, this is, why are you giving us albums? We don't want albums. We want individual songs. And when the iPod came out, you know, you could just... You'd watch it, and you'd be like, they're ignoring consumers. They they're ignoring consumer. consumers. Everybody, yeah. whoever is being affected by this is ignoring consumers. And then you got to understand that the power lay in the hands of the tech people now, and yeah. not the entertainment companies, or the media companies, or the commerce companies, or the finance. I was like, no, no, 
the power is in the distribution and the technology that distributes it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I want to um, read a couple of passages, um, sure. interesting passages. Um, you're talking about um, you know, this, this disruption. The tech titans would argue that they were no worse than cable networks like Fox News. True, but a very low bar. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. um, and there was no easily provable causality that they polarized the populace, um, a nearly impossible thing to measure. Most of all, they often dismissed any weaponization as unintended consequences. You're getting to where we are now, essentially, mm -hmm. the weaponization mm -hmm. of, of the internet, um, the silo bubbles. Maybe so, but it was not an unimaginable consequence. French philosopher Paul Virilio has a quote that I think about a lot. When you invent the ship, you also invent the shipwreck. When you invent the plane, you also invent the plane crash. And when you invent electricity, <coughs> you invent electrocution. Every technology carries its own negativity, which is invented at the same time as technological progress. That's correct. So. Talk a little bit about what you began to see in terms of, wow, all, you, you've mentioned a lot of the innovations and yeah. where, what could be different, but what about the really dark side of things? Well, you know, it started off like what was unusual about this group of people. Like if you were talking to a, a big pharma company or finance or Wall Street or insurance, they'd never <clears> go, <throat> we're changing the world with our products. You know, maybe pharma people would, but they knew it was crap, you know, essentially. <laughs> And they were buying the biotech they were, companies. They're like, they were we're doing. making money. We're yeah, making yeah. things, and yeah. then they're buying them, and that's the whole exchange. But the tech people, two things were really interesting: their juvenilization of themselves, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I, I, physically, they would create offices that were for children. Yeah. Because we want to stay childlike, and I was like, it's childish, is what I'm looking at. Like adult people using slides and bouncing on bouncy balls seems... You have to talk about, yeah. one of my favorite anecdotes yeah. in this book is the yeah. Sergey, well, I was going to say the Sergey Brin... Her birthday um, party. For, uh, that baby shower. Baby shower, yeah. Where everybody, you, you and Gavin I think Newsom. Gavin Newsom were the only ones that rejected wearing diapers and, um, one, and onesies. Footy pajamas, yeah. What is this about? What, <laughs> what is that infantilization? Oh, it's fun. It's, it's fun. fun. Okay. It's fun. It's Is forced it? fun. There was a lot of forced fun. Yes. Like, and I kept thinking, did you not have childhoods? Because I don't know what's happening. <laughs> because I'm done with that yeah, part yeah, of my life. Yeah. And, you know, they'd be like, oh, Carrie, you're no fun. I'm like, mm, I'm fun as an adult. Yeah. I'm, not as an, I'm not particularly fun. <laughs> but it was really funny because I was fascinated mm. by the performative aspects of it mm. and then pretending it was real. That mm. was the other thing. It's like, we're really wacky. Like, yeah. look at our colorful balls. Like, yeah. And I'm like, is that wacky, or is you just are you just performatively doing that? Every industry has its own level uniform, right? And theirs was fleece and comfort, yeah. and the comfortable clothes was interesting to me. Is we don't wear ties around here, we don't have titles, yeah. But you all, you sure knew who was in charge, right? Hundred percent. You know, and it's interesting because all of these things have now become mass market. You know, mm -hmm. the, that kind of you know, I don't give a you know what hoodie, but it's cashmere or yeah. the leather sneakers, oh, nice. yeah. or you know, or even cubicle culture, not mm -hmm. cubicle, open plan culture, which yeah. frankly I think doesn't work for a lot of people, but is the status quo now because of tech. Because yeah. of tech, mm -hmm. all those cultural shifts. Yeah, they like that, and I was like, I think they just wanted to recreate college. If I'm going to be generous, but nursery <laughs> school was more my you That's know. Funny. They did have sand pits, like it was. Yeah. Weird. They had ball pits at places. I went to a Google party once and they had ball pits and slip and slide. And I was like, what the heck is here? But it's beyond that. It's the idea of, of um, that they can go back to youth brings you, it's the, it's the glorification of youth that mm -hmm. brings you creativity, which is not true. No. Steve Jobs proved that over and over again. Indeed. 
He was an adult, by the way. He didn't, there was nothing like that at Apple, and they did just fine in the creative department. I came away feeling like he was the guy that you really admired I do like of, of all of them. I don't like everything about Steve Jobs. I get the negative parts. I'm yeah. not here to judge his personal life. I'm not. Sure. I'm sorry. And I don't think it interfered with his... I'm here to judge their business. Same thing with Mark Zuckerberg. A lot of people make fun of his looks. I'm like, why are we discussing this? Right. This is not my business. Right. Um, uh, I, I felt like he was persistently and consistently creating exciting products that that were what he wanted to make, mm. and he didn't do it by committee. He was like, I like this, and if I'm right, I'll make a lot of money. If I'm mm. wrong, he, he was never pretending it was not a product, and I appreciated that. He sometimes did the art and science, the beauty, but it was beautiful. Oh, God, like, yes. That's, it just was. Yeah. And so... I didn't mind his marketing, but he kind of did it like I'm marketing at you now, you know, and people are like, Kara, he has a reality distortion field. I'm like, I'm fully aware, but it's delightful. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. He's really good at selling things. And so that I appreciated about him. I appreciated his prescience on podcasting, on privacy, on if you go back to our interviews, it is astonishing the things he predicted hmm. because he was a thoughtful person and he was a smart person. Um, and so I liked that about him. I also thought he was full of passion, which uh, very many of these people were not. They were in it for the money. Um, I think he Travis liked the Kalmuk. money. Yeah, he really, well, he had other issues. There were other, <laughs> other chips and various things. Toxic masculinity. Yeah, toxic masculinity. But um, this is the Uber, uh, not the founder. He was the, he was the one who really pushed it forward. <clears throat> um, so I liked him. I like I enjoyed every interaction I had with him, even when we were arguing, mm. because I felt like it was. He never, he never wilted like a hothouse flower. He mm. just didn't. It was like, he just didn't. He, like, we argued all the time. And I appreciated that. I didn't, we didn't have to agree, but we could have disagreements. Um, I didn't know him as well as my partner, Walt Mossberg, but I, there were just, it was always interesting to talk to someone who was thinking all the time and had cultural references and societal references and pop culture references. Mm. A lot of times with these other techies, they just didn't finish college. They lived in their little bubbles. They ate the foods they all ate. They dressed the same. And I thought they were not creative in, mm. in a way. And I think, um, and then when they made money, they felt like they could tell you about everything else. And <laughs> that really drove me nuts. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. I mean, I see that all across culture, politics, business today still, yes. although I think the bloom's a little bit off the rose. Um, I'm going to come back to that point, but I, I want to kind of tap something. Uh, you know, when you talk about how they're all eating the same food, they're all doing the same thing. Yeah. I was struck um, towards the end of the book, you talked about Silicon Valley at this point being in the business of assisted living for millennials. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're getting at is this kind of an app for everything, a me too kind of consumerist Comfort culture. Comfort your way through life. Comfort yeah. your way. So here's a question for you. Um, if we assume that that's what Silicon Valley is doing right now, which I think is right, 
are there other places, I'm thinking about Boston maybe, mm -hmm. or parts of Europe, are there other places where different tech revolutions? No, I think Silicon Valley was this, the focus. People tried to create these, like, look, there was great tech in Boston. There's lots of great tech companies that started in Boston. Lotus, one, two, three was there. Um, all kinds of stuff mm. happened there. There's a lot of robotics there, because mm. it's close to MIT. Often when there's a college or an important college, uh, uh, that happens. Austin certainly had its resurgence with Dell and mm. some other, and Apple located a big facility there. Um, that was interesting, but still not, it, it, went, it goes like this, Austin. Let me clarify the question, because actually what I'm asking is, if we assume that consumer tech and the consumer internet was, was and is sort of based in the valley, mm -hmm. now that we're entering a period where we're really moving into business internet, we're moving into internet of things, supply mm -hmm. chains, mm -hmm. industrial internet, agriculture, we were talking about yes. earlier, is that going to be someplace else, or is it's that going to be everywhere? It's going to be it's everywhere. Be everywhere. And so I much more I decentralized. I just did an interview with the woman who came up with the unicorn, which was the billion-dollar valued companies. And the numbers are still clearly mm. heavily in California. They just yeah. are. And actually, there's just a really good Wall Street Journal. You know how they all left California because it was terrible? They're back, right? Cause, are they? Yeah. So no more Texas and Florida? Mm, not as much. Not they as suddenly much. moved back. What didn't they like about Texas and Florida? Low taxes. They like the low tax. If you're going somewhere just for the money, you know how that always stands up. You know, they're perfectly fine places. By the way, Austin, again, very vibrant. And I think, you know, yeah. space stuff there, for example, certain things. But you can, Steve Case, who was, was the AOL CEO, has really talked about this talent everywhere. And I do mm. think the pandemic pushed that forward, that you can be things everywhere, but there still is a plus to being, in, like AI right now, uh, centered in San Francisco again. Is that right, interesting. It really is, and of course China and Israel and some other places, but for the most part it's California. It so is. you cover the dot-com bubble. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the uh, first one, there were the, several. There were several, but I'm talking about 99 really. Mm -hmm. um, and for my sins, I have to admit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a confession. Yeah. You're Catholic, so yeah. I, or maybe not practicing, I'll no, do a confession. Um, I left mm -hmm. a media, old media company and worked for a tech startup in Europe what? <clears throat> in 1999, which that, if I was actually thinking um, yeah. straight, I should, as a business reporter, it should have been like, ooh, we've reached a high watermark if yeah. they're hiring journalists to do this, yeah. like me, to do this. But, yeah. um, but I did it, and it was an incredible experience. I mean, what I came away feeling was I believed even less of mm -hmm. what I was hearing from the mouths of the people, but I was actually more admiring of anything that got done because I realized mm -hmm. how hard it was. A hundred percent. Right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. To I think, do something. Yeah, I think, you know, th there is an element, the positive elements of tech people in general are risk, they're not risk averse, which is great, neither yeah. am I, which is, I think, a good quality I have. Um, they don't mind failing. They love that Thomas Edison quote, I have not failed, I have 10,000 10, ways it doesn't work, which I'm so tired of hearing. I'm like, sometimes it's just, <laughs> just move along, um, but they don't mind it. it they, they, yeah. And certain people get to suffer failure easier. I would say white men, in, and it's very clear. It's, yeah. You know, they always like, no. I'm like, mm, look, look, look around, look around, everybody. Yeah. Um, they, they tend that is a good quality. The ability to move along and change and shift is also a suspension of disbelief. Mm. You know, crypto, crypto, crypto. Mm. Oh no, 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 no. It's AI, AI, AI. And I kind of like that because they sort of convince themselves in whatever particular hype cycle they happen to be in. Mm. Some of them are very real. Mobile was. AI, generative AI certainly is. Crypto, I was like, mm. money's already digital. Yeah. I don't know. It's just you want to hide it, right? Or you want to find another way of moving value. I get it. I kind of, 
Yeah, I'm not so sure it needed as much hype as it did, but there's elements of it that are interesting. No, sure. it's, well, I always thought with digital currency that I'd rather have it be still digital and then backed by an actual central bank rather right. than, you know. Complicated. Know, complicated, complicated. They just feel like they want to disrupt everything and their whole little meme is like, we're going to disrupt this now. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Why this? Like, yeah. I, that, that was always my question is some things certainly needed to be disrupted. Other things to disrupt for disrupt's sake is just a toddler is that you're just a toddler essentially I read something interesting recently I wonder what you would say um, in the FT a colleague wrote a piece kind of looking at the dot-com bubble 1999 years leading up and after and AI today mm -hmm. and and thinking about every I would argue I think most bubbles have a speculative part but then they have a productive part they do. right so you've got a lot of cable the internet, and, did, and internet did you you lay a lot of fiber optics and mm -hmm. then that you know you build mm -hmm. Can you describe AI at the moment in those terms? What's froth? What's real? Where are we going to be in five years? I think very think? little of it. I think it's a really okay. significant, there are significant moments in technology. The graphical user interface, or the chip, the chips, the computer, the laptop. That was sort of the, you know, the popularization probably. Uh, Microsoft was another one, that whole uh, platform stuff. Then mobile mm -hmm. was a shift. It was like, that changed everything. The iPhone was a critical, I think it's probably, if I had to point to one device, mm. that was the most important device. That was 2007. Yeah. 2007. Um, when I got that in my hands, I'm like, oh. It was another like, oh, I see where this is headed kind of thing. App and universe. I didn't know, what I wouldn't have predicted Uber, but I would have said something, something's coming. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's so. gonna be great. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and so, uh, so you could see those shifts, and I think social was another one. Generative AI is another one because mm. it's what it's doing is it's taking the internet and opening it up, mm. like going like cracking open the internet itself hmm. and serving it up to you in new ways in speeds that are astonishing. And you don't quite there's so much data out there now it'll start to really make sense of all this massive data, and begin to change. Insure, it's like saying electricity. Mm. What did electricity do? Mm. Well, a lot. Like, mm. what, is the, what did the internet do? The, the, it wasn't the internet itself. It's how it transformed various things, whether it's music or, or commerce or finance. This is the same thing. Now it's going to aim a lot more at white-collar work. That's yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, someone was like, what will affect? I'm like, there'll be no more law associates. Why have them? There's no reason. It's just data that, needs to, that you just had people do, like monks and scribes. Like, yeah. that's just... And people don't like hearing that, but you're sort of like, I don't know well, what to tell you. Let's land on that for a minute, because this is something I think a lot about. Um, mm -hmm. if, if we look at the politics of the moment, mm -hmm. um, and this is what I argued in my last book, mm -hmm. that, that essentially disrupting 8% of man 8 to 12% of manufacturing jobs, depending on how you count it, in part got us to Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, not the only factor, but sure it did. certainly got us there. We're about to potentially disrupt 30 to 40% of white collar work. I mean, I don't see us having a really serious conversation about. Well, I, our government isn't. Our government isn't. We're going to have. Serious have but I don't think UBI and those fantasies, libertarian fantasies coming out of the valley some are of an UBI answer. UBI is really interesting, actually. I mean, it, it works in some levels. It, it, it could spark creativity. Everyone becomes an entrepreneur. If you have a minute, not everybody, but we don't teach entrepreneurism, right? Mm, like, that's true. We do teach pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and then give any, nobody any help. That mm. is a very different thing. So lots of people fail. Mm. Um, but what I do think is that, look, every single, like, I had I had a dinner the other night, and they were all. It was all journalism one. It was that high-minded kind of dinner I try to mm. avoid at all times. And 
I was talking, they asked me about it. I said, well, like, it's going to change journalism rather significantly. I'm like, in a good way, say, like, mm. headlines, right? Headlines. Mm. I won a headline award at journalism school. For the <laughs> Golden Pike, it was called, I think. And, you know, you don't do that anymore. No. You just don't. They, no. they're, they're, the kerning happens on the computer. And I said, so an AI thing will generate 100 headlines that might work in two seconds. The guy in the corner there takes 50 friggin' minutes for a not a good one, right? Mm. Not a good one. And then you get one out of him. And they're like, we have to have people do headlines. I'm like, why? Yeah. It doesn't, why? Why can't they generate 100 of them then you look, and then a person looks at them and picks two? The person doesn't remove themselves. It's just, what's going on? And, well, and, and I would let me finish. So, yeah. I go, so I go, so we have, we have to do it ourselves. I'm like, can I ask you a question? Did you like getting those $4 strawberries? Because they don't cost $4. They cost $4 because it was automated. Do you like getting stuff delivered by Amazon? Well, that's because someone else's job. I said, it's coming for your job now. Right. And so that's, right. to me, every single one of these jobs shifts. And it happened with farming. Mm -hmm. It happened with, uh, with, with the, you know, the, uh, the loom when they were making. It happened with manufacturing. We've been here before. Yeah. It just happens to be that in data is the, is the, is the gold here. I guess the thing they're going to spin and the hay they're going to spin into gold. Well, and that that brings me to another topic I want to look at that you kind of touch on towards the end of the book, which is the antitrust and concentration of power question. Which you know about. Yeah. Um, be, so so. A lot of folks, and I think the jury is out, but a lot of folks would argue that the depth and breadth of this change, particularly mm -hmm. AI-powered, is it really is different. It is. And, and it's just going to happen in such a way that if we don't have some kind of major safety net under people, that it's going to be politically dis disruptive in ways that are going to you know, make well, we know the that moment. Because we know <laughs> that because of what happened with the last round with the internet, right? Yep. It didn't they didn't need much to do what they were doing, which yeah. is radicalize lots of people, yeah. have all kinds of disinformation, which is simply propaganda. Let's just stop calling it mis and disinformation. It's just propaganda. That's what it is. Is it's people using uh, inaccuracies to sway a group of people to do something. That's mm -hmm. really all it is. And um, and so it's happened. So we know now this is a superpowered version of that, which yeah. was already superpowered from the book or the billboard or the TV or the radio. And so we have to, <coughs> we should have known by now what it does. And so if it's even more potent, we should have guardrails in place. Of course, what do they do in Congress? They have meetings. They have meetings that are closed to people with all the power brokers, essentially. They, right mm -hmm. now, because they can't pass actual legislation, they have a bipartisan committee to discuss and put up guidelines. That's because they can't do anything. Yeah, but to be fair, I'm going to push back a little bit. Isn't it because Congress is pretty much bought out by the tech titans? I mean, yes, but that's not, that's not an excuse. I don't it's care. It's not an excuse, but it's a, it's a mutual. It's a, yes, but it's that. Look, we have done this. We have legislated uh, airlines, not mm. perfectly. Mm. We have legislated pharma. We yeah. have legislated finance. We have legislated insurance. We legislate like football, for mm. goodness sake. We legislate media. We do. There's specific things. In the 25 years, 30 years that the internet has grown, the, or the internet powers have grown, the top 10 companies in the world are tech companies, the top most valued, except for the uh, Saudis with Aramco, yeah. and maybe one of the Louis Vuitton people or something like that. But <laughs> if you true. look, I haven't That's looked true. this no, week. It's, it's literally all yeah. tech people. The top richest people in the world are either oil people, and there are not many of them, mm. tech people. Mm. If you look at the top 10, they're tech people for the most part. Not an ounce of legislation addresses them. Not an ounce. Now, they may have a lot of money, but guess mm -hmm. what? We've been here before. We were here with 
Andrew Carnegie. We were here with John D. Rockefeller. We were here with Standard Oil. We were yeah. here with AT&T. Yeah. You think we can't do it? To say we can't do it is an excuse on our part. Well, I think you're getting at something important, and this is clearly what the Biden administration is trying to do, which is deal with power, not price, because That's this right. is a barter. This is a barter is, exchange. Data right, is a barter exchange. Things have changed. Um, so let's go, I want to come back to the culture of the Valley for a minute and some of the personal stories mm -hmm. that you tell in this book. Um, mm -hmm. First of all, I would love your perspective. I've always found the weird mix of kind of hippie libertarianism mm -hmm. just, I don't get that. I How call it libertarian light, actually. Okay, okay. I, I yeah. don't even think they know what it means. Explain. Right? You know, I don't, if, I had, if I pressed them and made them define it, they wouldn't know. No, I just don't like people bothering me. Uh -huh. I'm like, that is a two-year-old, right? Uh -huh. As, you know, or teenager. Back or to diapers and onesies. Right, or no, actually, teenager. Like, okay. I don't want people bothering me. Don't yeah. bother me, mom. That's really what they're uh -huh. hopeful. I don't know if that's a philosophy or a political thing, but it's teenager area. I don't know what it is. Um, but I think there's things at play is which is persistent lying to themselves about what they are and it gets back mm. to what we were just talking about which is it's capitalism that's all it is is <laughs> capitalism i'm sorry you're not changing the world you want to make money and we treat them like they're magicians well i want to it's funny that you just said that because mm. i was opening opening the book to read another passage mm. which gets at just this Internet people love to do things like this. Um, you're talking about some of the childish behavior. Mm -hmm. um, since it gave them an air of, I don't care for corporate formalities, mm -hmm. which appealed to the audience they were aiming at and made good copy. Much of it is, is of course, performative, signaling to the public that these inventors were gonna seize power and have a good time doing it. I even wrote a story about the lies of Silicon Valley, which holds up rather well a quarter century later. No wonder then that, and you're quoting yourself, that self-congratulations and self-deception are now a part of the Valley's ethos, right up there with fearless risk-taking, maniacal effort, and programming genius. I wrote, listing lines like, it's not about the money. It was. It's not about the fame. It also was. There's no dress code, special parking spaces, no fancy offices here because we're not hung up on status symbols. They were just different ones. No one is really in charge here. Oh, oh, I could go on. Yeah. I could go on, but this was early. This yeah, was yeah. Well, clocked them pretty quickly. Um, any other lies that we should be paying to uh, special attention to at the moment? That they know better, mm. right? That they're entering the society and starting to lecture us on things. Uh, venture capitalists giving us uh, giving us foreign policy advice. I'd really rather they sit down. <laughs> Right? I'm going to listen to Tony Blinken. I'm going to. I'm yeah. going to. I know it's crazy to rely on experts, that experts don't know what they're talking about. You got a real dose of that. I did an interview with Elon Musk where he lectured me on COVID before it happened. Like, this is what I read every study. I know. I was like, listen, Dr. Welby, sorry. Not, I don't recall you getting a medical degree, and I don't think you know what you're talking about. At the very least, you don't know. Like, let's start with that. But they can't acknowledge that. That's really nuts that they're entering into other areas whether it's um any there's no topic they aren't an expert on and they aren't an expert on any topic except the narrow thing they do i wonder sometimes some if, of them are some of them are yeah i wonder sometimes if that's a tech person thing or if that's a rich person thing and i'm thinking about the ways well, in which financiers tend to become philo you know philosopher well, kings it's just when Bill they, and he really well needs to no sit but down, it's ray so. dalio george soros I and mean, they yeah. all want to become writers and philosophers yeah. after they make the they're money bored with what they with got they, them there right yeah i guess so but these mm -hmm. guys do it younger which maybe it's the well, I think it does when you get that rich. You have all these enablers going, hmm, mm, what you just said was brilliant. And sometimes it's not, right? Yeah, yeah. And so 
I think that's the problem is they, they attract rich people. They, their worlds get smaller and smaller and smaller over time. I think they depict that super well in succession. Uh, if you notice, they right. were in the, yes. the, the planes to the apartments to the cars to the, you know, tight. It got that's, tighter and tighter over the seasons. That's really And in the last show, only one person was in a bar with regular people. You know, that's that's a really profound observation. I, I was, well, I did the podcast for it, so I paid a lot of attention on uh, for them. Um, but it really is, and you started to see it with them, is in sometimes where they'd be like talking to you, like, oh, yeah, yeah you're right, oh, that was stupid. And you go, you did that again, and they're like, that's not what they say. My, my staff says I was right. I was like, oh, did they? Did your staff say you were right? How interesting. Do you pay them? <laughs> like, you know, all, all, everybody's interests are aligned with, you know, I think recently the Wall Street Journal stories about something everybody knew in Silicon Valley, which was drug use by these tech people, mm. especially psychedelics. Look, I, I don't know. We'll see where this all goes. But the fact of the matter, there is abuse of these things mm. happening. And they get to do whatever they want. The journal depicted it really well. This is an Elon Musk case and the effect it might be having on him. And I think it explains a lot, actually. And, oh, um, interesting. and when it's combined with health challenges, I think he's, and, and feeling like you own the world and wealth and COVID, like you can see where, how we got to where we are pretty easily. What they did that was very deft in the journal, and I thought they did, I have to give kudos to them for finally like saying the, the quiet part out loud, was that the reason the board was letting Elon get away with this stuff is because they all were benefiting by hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Well, okay, oh, I see now. And I think that was smart. You could sit here and talk about just the drug use, which is like, ooh, look, mm. he's taking ketamine, whatever. Mm. What's important is why is he being allowed to break rules that other people can't? Well, yeah. here's why. These happen to be these rules, but yeah. it's because the money. And, I, and again, the first line of the book was, it was capitalism after all. And what I got tired of them, I got so tired of them telling me it wasn't. And I was like, well, and but it is. Every decision you make has to do with growth. If it's the self-esteem of girls, sorry, we need to make money. If it's, you know, misinformation, anti-Semitic misinformation, yeah. oh, sorry, free speech. Like, I was like, do you have any responsibility to what you're making, essentially? You know, it's so interesting. I mean, and all of this was sort of not even hiding in plain sight. I'm thinking about um, uh, the Google, uh, the original Google paper, you know, the yeah. Stanford project that, mm -hmm. that Larry and Sergey did, where mm -hmm. if you read down to, you know, page 37 to the appendix, mm -hmm. the risks of targeted advertising are kind they of right knew. there. They knew. They 100% knew. knew. They knew. Um, to stick with Musk for a minute, because he's a big character and you have a lot of thoughts on him, um, you, you open, and, and also with Don't Be Evil, you open with the idea that 2016 mm -hmm. and these tech executives going to sit with Donald Trump, mm -hmm. a guy that, I mean, values wise, you know. Totally. What, what they said their values what were. What they said their I'm values were. I'm taking them were, at their word, right. Right. Um, real disjointed picture there. You call up Elon mm -hmm. to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about so that. So what happened was I was with my son, it was a Saturday, I think, whatever day it was, before this meeting. And I was good at scoops. I'm just a really good beat reporter. and. Someone said, there's a meeting with Trump. They're all going. I'm like, who's going? And they took me this. I'm like, who? Like, it was all of them, like, essentially. Um, and no, no, usually when these things happen, there's a press release or they, or the PR people call you and saying, oh, so-and-so is going to this meeting. Tim Cook's going to this meeting or whatever. There was a way it worked. And but it was silent. And I was like, well, of course, because they're embarrassed. Yeah. But they want things, including repatriation of their taxes. They wanted government contracts. They wanted no regulation. 
And so I can see why they went, but there was silence about immigration. And look, I cannot stand Donald Trump, but he said what he was going to do. Yep. I'm going to ban Muslims. Yep. And I was like, he said it like, uh, and I counted how many times as much as and the number got too high, how many times he said it. And I'm of the Maya Angelou school. Yeah. If they say what they are, believe them, right? Yeah. If they tell you what they are, believe them. And, and Donald Trump's not that hard to parse. He has, he's, he's you know, he's been being racist for, for decades, right? He's been being misogynistic for decades. This is not a new, fresh thing. And so they were going there, and so I was going to write a news story, like, oh, look at this. This is interesting. This is a, it was all of them. It was mm -hmm. all the power brokers and, and the CEOs. And so I called up, I started to call, and Elon always answered the phone. He always answered it himself, which I really appreciated. And I said, what are you doing? You're an immigrant. He hates immigrants. Well, maybe not white immigrants like yourself, but um, <laughs> white but libertarian. White, yeah, he wasn't at the time. He was sort mm. of he had voted for Obama. He had been pretty democratic, I would say. He, he, he was it was hard to pin him down, but he was much more on the Democrat side for a long time. And um, which oh, that's how you get to be the worst right wing person if you were kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. The people who've shifted over. <laughs> that's true. And, um, and so he was like, well, we're going to hear him, you know, and uh, I said, well, you know, you're going to say something publicly about the immigration stance, because if of anything, Silicon Valley was built on the, by immigrants, really. Many people in Silicon Valley are immigrants. A lot of the leaders have been from another country, and they respect immigration. They want these visas and everything else. And, and I said, you really got to say something about immigration, at least, at the very least. I, I will convince him, Kara. I know. And he was also concerned about gay rights issues mm -hmm. at the time. He was like, this anti-gay stuff isn't good. Mm. Um, and uh, he's changed his tune on that one. And, um, and so I was like, you can't go. You can't. Oh, I'm going to join his thing. I'm going to hope for the best. I can, we can convince him. It's like, it reminded me a great deal of the Hitler stuff. Oh, don't mm -hmm. worry. We got mm -hmm. him. We got yeah. it. We got yeah. this. And I was like, I don't know. He's president. It's kind of a big job. And Y'all have to say something. You're the most powerful, rich people on the planet. Yeah. You might want to make a statement. You like, know, you're and they didn't. And 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 they didn't. They skulked in. They skulked out. Trump got the best press release. He looked. He they he, they legitimized him very quickly. Yeah. And then I, I was literally like, you're the richest and most powerful people on the planet, and you're bending your knee to this guy. Like, you don't need to right now. Yeah. You 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 have the catbird seat. And so I was kind of like. Really? But I think it was all about the money then, too, because... 100%. And then very quickly you began to see, um, during the Trump administration, you start to see decoupling with China. You start mm -hmm. to see Cold War turning into which potential... They want. Which they want. They wanted. And I was fascinated by the way the tech titans lined up on either sides of that debate. I mean, the Zuckerberg and Facebook, Google tried to have it kind of both ways at first, mm -hmm. and then we're like, no, wait, we're national champions. Amazon thinking, okay, we're just going to go with the U.S. and mm -hmm. do back-end infrastructure for mm -hmm. the military or, you know, right. whatever. I mean, it's a fascinating... Well, that's where the money is. Why that's rob a bank? It's where the... Why work for the government? It's where the money is. That's where the next growth is. And they know better. And so why wouldn't they go there? I mean, again, if they had just said, we just really like the money, Kara, I'm, I'd have been fine. I'm like, got it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for telling me the truth. Yeah. And now, it's not to say some of them don't have, you know, it's just they always were selling how world-changing and philanthropic yeah. they were. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not a favor to use the Internet, which was paid for by the U.S. government, uh, and build a business off of our money and then say, 
here, let me give you a little, little, and then not pay taxes. Well, it's sort that, of like, it's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing, and there, I mean, you're landing on something really important, which is that the, I mean, DARPA, this was public. DARPA did a lot of great work. even Tesla, I mean, Elon, SpaceX, there's been a lot of... He um, took a loan. From, the reason has Tesla exists today is because of a government loan. Yeah. You know, even he goes on about the government, I'm like, mm, hello. Do you, just on that point, um, do you have a position, should we adopt, you know, say a more Danish standard or an Israeli standard about how the government in, takes back some of the profit from? Oh, I think we should have. I think we should have taken warrants in Tesla. I don't know why we didn't. I don't know why we don't. It's ours. By the way, you know, every, every bit of innovation was initially started. I think the government needs to be more involved in basic research and stop pretending. They have this, there's this trope now that only technology can be innovative. Well, I don't know, the government's been, yeah. you know, it's so, it's so exhausting to listen to some people just constantly. I remember one of the, when the, when the, um, the right wing, the ones that hate government all the time, well, they all do now, but um, um, there was a group, the Tea Party people. Yeah. I had someone call me in San Francisco, I don't know, they got my number. It was one of those robocalls kind of thing, and they're like, we represent the teapot, and we don't, you know, government's terrible, this and that. And I, was, and I like to stay on the phone with these people. And I mm. said, really? Yeah, government's terrible. What? I have a question. How did you get to work today? And they're like, right. I drove. And I said, on a road that was built by the government? You need to get the hell off that road because yeah. that's government. I was like, the government did well in World War II. I feel like that worked out well for all of us. I'm so glad the Nazis didn't win. I really feel the government innovated in space, the in government. And so what they like to do is think, they, they love to trash everything but them. Mm. And, and then you sort of start to suspect, you know, you were helped by this. Where is the sense of commonality and civility and the fact that this is part of a, a great experiment of democracy, mm. but it's all because of you and your genius at making us a digital dry cleaning service. I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. I don't yeah, buy it. yeah, well, that means Some that of it I do, some of it is innovative and invention. But it's but but what you're saying is it's a collective effort. It's not just a matter of it, these individuals. Yes, coming and they in. love to self-aggrandize in a way that's yeah. really you know Elon right now is the version of that right. Everything's about him. We must put, point all Twitter. You know, that, that Zoe Schiffer has a great book where she he had them change the algorithm so everybody followed him and listened to him. What is that? But what is that? But a king who wants everybody to. It's a king. Right. It's what it is. It's certainly not innovative. It's weird, actually. Um, just sticking with, you know, Tea Party, mm -hmm. Line to Occupy, mm -hmm. um, Twitter, you were warning mm -hmm. before um, we had the Capitol. Yes, um, I was. I wrote a full column about it. Talk a little bit about that. What well, was the tip-off for um, you? I just am one of these people who sits around. I'm like, I like puzzles. I'm like, and I wanted to be in the military, a military analyst. I like figure like, how could the, what is the scenario? How can this yeah. go? And so I, uh, reasons I was a pretty good reporter, because I'd always be like, if this, then this, if this, then I, I was one of those people. And I'd sit down and I could almost guess news stories, because if I know enough about them, what they like, where they eat, who they're friends with, mm. you really can, okay, what are they doing, to, what's their next move? And with a lot of people, it's pretty easy to figure that out. Like, mm. people are very guessable, essentially. And so I was sitting there and I was looking at Trump using Twitter, which is, you know, everybody has their medium, Twitter, uh, Trump had his, which and JFK had his, and our, uh, you know, Hitler had his, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I just was watching him, and then I started to see some stuff about the weaponry. He had something about insurrection. He started to tweet about that, mm. and I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is really very problematic. Mm. And he's breaking the rules of platform. They're doing nothing about it, right? 
And so I wrote a column in 2019, in mid 2000, October maybe of 2019, where I said, I'm, putting, I'm making up a hypothetical here that I'd say to people where, what if Trump loses the election, starts to tweet online that it was stolen over and over again, it goes up and down the food chain, which it does, the online food chain goes from the very bottom and sort of the dregs for chance, and it goes up to the top and down to the bottom again. It has a really interesting path, hmm. but it's, it makes sense to me. And what if he does that, and then he does, repeats it again and again like propaganda, and then he asks them or convinces them to do something about it in real life? What would you do? Mm. And everyone was like, well, we'd throw him off the platform. And I said, why don't you do it now before it happens? Same argument I had with Mark Zuckerberg about Holocaust deniers. Mm. It's, the anti-Semitism is going to seep into the ground and will never get it out once you let it seep. You have to stop it. Well, free speech. I'm like, not that. No, you can make a Yes, government can't do it. You can. Like, you can. You are not the government. So mm. you can stop the anti-Semitism because if not, it's going to seep in and be worse. We're where we are today because of the allowing of that stuff to go on and on and on for years and years, because we're, we're poisoned now. And so that was what happened. I wrote a column saying, I think this is going to happen. When I wrote it, I got calls from all the leaders. How dare you say we would be mm. handmaidens? I don't think I call them handmaidens to sedition, but I, that's what I thought. And how dare you? This isn't the way it's going to go. And I was like, this is exactly the way it's going to go. And that's what happened. You know, I think a lot about how we're going to put this back in the box, all the toxicity, we're not. and we're not. And, and, and in part, I think we're not because the business model that we've just been talking about for the last That's 50 right. minutes or so is now kind of everybody's business model, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, really, 85% of value lives in IP and data. Mm -hmm. Most, uh, almost every company that I could think of is monetizing data and information in they some should. way. Yeah. Um, what does the future look like? And I'm curious if you could link that. Let's go back to kind of your pathway mm -hmm. and the fact that you were smarter than most journalists very early on saying, mm -hmm. this is my content and mm -hmm. I'm going to own it mm -hmm. and I'm going to buck any system. I actually think there's, there's something coming there between companies monetizing information and data and individuals beginning to say, actually, this is my IP. That's and correct. And I want more of that. What is that? Well, I think like. right now with AGI, they're scraping people's content. Let's sue them. Copyright. That's all. You know, it's not, it's not terrific. If this is the law we have to use, we should have more stronger ones. Mm. But let's start with there. Let's mm. start with that. Let's start to put guardrails around. We can all agree what we don't want to happen. Mm. Killer robots. I think we can all agree <laughs> on that, right? Mm. Maybe, maybe a few people would mm. be like, yeah, let's have those. Let's have guidelines around where the provenance of this information is. Let's have, there's some very easy stuff we can all agree on. And here's what we would like this to be, gene editing. We'd like you to give back some. We'd like to have safety standards. I mean, the Biden executive order was pretty good in that regard. Yes, it was. Recently. Uh, but it d can't be an executive order. It has to be legislation, right? There's a lot of stuff that we can figure out really quickly around that. Antitrust, which you know about, is another mm. thing. They cannot dominate everything. They can't, it can't and it, because it's expensive, this stuff. Mm. So where's the government funding? to allow innovation to happen from the bottom up. Strength of our country is innovation from the bottom up. It is not invention from the top down. Hmm. It just isn't. It, it, that's China, in case you're interested. That's what they do in China. Totally different system. I mean, mm -hmm. I've always thought that actually one of the great advantages for the U.S. is decentralization, and mm -hmm. that we should be focusing on that yes. when we think about national security. Let me go back. Um, I'm, I'm just looking at a place where you get into something personal, mm -hmm. which is the fact that 
as a, I'm going to call you an overachiever, is that fair? <laughs> yes, yes. As an overachiever, busy. Um, I'm busy. busy You're a busy person. You've got four kids, you've got <laughs> three jobs. Um, you had a stroke. Yes, I did. You had a stroke. And it's interesting because it comes at this point after you've been talking to Steve Jobs mm -hmm. at a point in his life when he didn't have a whole lot longer to live. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And um, and you, you, there's a little bit of um, twinning there that I picked up on. This Very much so. He affected me a great tell deal. Me, yeah, tell me about that. He was, one of the things I liked about Stephen, probably why it attracted me to, my dad died at a young age, so death uh, was always ever-present in my life. And, 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 and ephemerality, I'm not a Buddhist, but I get, he was, Steve was, um, I, get, I get ephemerality. I get, like, randomness. Things, life isn't fair. Like, it just happens, and there's no reason for it, and it's just the way things go. So I was living like that, and so that put in me an idea of time. I had a limited amount of time. When Steve got sick, I think that's what happened to him. Time compressed. He understood mm. that, and he gave one of the best speeches, I think, of one of the greatest speeches of all time, which was his Stanford speech about mm. life being too short, death being the most informative way to be so creative. He was most creative in the years he was dying, or, or we're all dying, but he was really dying faster. And, and, and some, of, some of it maybe didn't have to happen that way, but it, that's the way it went. And, um, and he really was very wise about it, and it affected me quite a bit. And, and one of the questions I asked him, which I think was one of the best questions I ever asked him, was he, we did the last interview with him before he died, really, before he got real sick. I think we did it in June. He, got, he died in November, I guess, or whatever. And um, it was some close time frame that we did it in, but he never did another one after that. And he was very thin. He had, he had gotten sick and then well and then sick. So we watched him through several different phases of this. But now it was clear. When he did this interview, he was, he was skeletal, you know. And, and he's still vibrant. And let me just say, he was always vibrant. And you asked, I thought this was so beautiful, that yeah. you said, how are you going to spend the next 10 years? How, no, I said, what are you going to do the rest of your life? Oh, rest I of I didn't say 10 oh, years. Did you, okay. It was very specific. Oh, interesting. And the crowd was like, did she just ask a dying man what he was going to do with the rest of his life? And you know what? He had a great, he's like, I want this, I want this, and this. Yeah. And it was really, and he knew what I was doing. Yeah. You know, he was very aware of it, but he was, he was always forward. He didn't waste his life, right? He didn't waste his time. And I really appreciated that about him. When I had the stroke, it was the same thing. I was like, look at this. My dad died at a young age. I this is a very major, it was, I had a hole in my heart, I had a blood clot. Mm. Um, it, was a, it was one of those things. And my favorite, one of my favorite books is Franz Kafka's The Trial. Mm. And, and everything is about authoritarianism. It's about God. That book is about God, if mm. I, in my reading of it. It's because, and it says, uh, you know, uh, something, someone must have been telling lies about Joseph K. because he was arrested one fine morning. Arrested. Arrested means stopped. It doesn't mean arrested in that book. To me, oh, he was stopped by God. Start to think of what you're doing with your life. And yeah. so that stroke was, a, was, an, arrest, was an arrest of me. Yeah. And I had to think, what do I want to do? And I continued to, I'm like, I like what I'm doing. I like not working for people. I like owning my IP. I like doing what I feel like. Yeah, you have a beautiful Marcus Aurelius quote, mm -hmm. too, about um, the- You're already dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and look and let the lightness come forward. Yeah. Um, well, in the last that few... guy was smart, wasn't he? Yeah, he was pretty what smart. The heck? I want to, I want to meet him. I know. I'm like you those... were up, you were up in the mud and all this stuff, and you managed to pull this out of your hat. Like what? I feel like I it's from the those future. Old dead and then guys, back. they did know a few yeah, things. Yeah, but he, in particular, he's very modern. It's a, it's a really interesting thing. I keep thinking he was from the future and he went back and just decided to wear fur and. <laughs> 
being gladiator <laughs> or whatever. Um, all right, well on that note, I wanna ask you what's on your reading list at the moment? I'm reading this amazing book called North Woods and I'm blanking on the author, but it's a book about, I'm really interested in architecture. You know, mm. I think a lot about the architecture of the internet, right? Mm. I talk a lot about that, like how it was built is what, the reason why it, enragement equals engagement is because they built it that way. It doesn't have to be built that way. Important. It doesn't have to be built that way. It can be built another way. Um, and in that vein, I'll talk about Northwoods in a second, but Origins, I just, I interviewed Isabel Wilkerson who wrote Origins, which yeah. it, it wasn't Origins, it, she, it was cast, and then it was made into Origins, which yes. I also love by Ava DuVernay. Um, that was a great book, and one of the lines in that book was, okay, it was talking about racism and why we, you know, it was talking about caste, as maybe casted in terms of caste versus racism or mm. ageism or whatever. And she said, we have this house and it's full of cracks and the basement is flooded. We didn't build this house. We have to fix it, right? And so it was a really smart thing. It's like, let's stop talking about the house. Let's try to rebuild it in a way that works. Mm. And so I really appreciated that book for that because it, it took you thinking in a different way. Cast really did, and it was made a beautiful movie mm. because of that. Northwoods is the same thing, and it's about a house that gets built by these two people that are escaping a Puritan village, Salem, or something like that. They fall in love, they run off to the wilderness and build a house. Now look, everybody dies in weird ways back then, and, and there's a lot of tragedy, but you, f you meet everyone who's lived in this house over since hmm. it was built, so you know how it got there. You know how the apple orchard got there because someone got killed, he was eating an apple, it was in his stomach, and then, and then it goes through all the owners of the house, right? And over time, and then you hear all their stories and what happens to them, but none of them know about the other people that were there before. There was so much, the house is the only thing that knows what mm. happened. And I love this book because it's about, um, uh, it's about history, it's about death, it's about you know, how we forget things and move on, and mm. the house endures. And eventually the house, won't, but the house also falls into disrepair, and then it's re, you know, it gets remade by someone in more modern times. I love this book, and the writer is one of these incredible, he writes all kinds of different, chat. one of them's a diary, one of them's maps, one of them, it's just so interesting and intricate, and it's just a beautiful story about ephemerality of life and how you have to, you have to take this long view. Um, so and you do. Northwoods, <laughs> long And view. you do take a long well, view. Well, I hope you learn um, about the internet. You don't have to hate tech to like this book. I don't, yeah, I don't hate tech, I well, don't. No, I mean, it's clear that you don't. It's, I it's, love it. You love it. Um, a tech love story, burn book. Yeah. Um, Stop doing these things to my house. I love my house. <laughs> <laughs> we have to fix it. Jerks. It was great to be here with Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. What a good interview. What an, I really appreciate thoughtfulness and stuff in interview. Awesome. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening to this week's Afterwards podcast. If you are interested in podcasts about nonfiction books, listen to C-SPAN's Book Notes Plus podcast for interviews with authors and historians hosted by Brian Lamb.